There we go. Right, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Zeus with Bruce. We are beginning a very exciting new series that we're going to be putting out every Friday called Philosophy Fridays. And reason being is really on this podcast, we're focusing on many different areas. However, of course, the passion of mine is philosophy and finding a way to navigate the way we think, how to introduce different topics, different ideas. And as much as you guys probably love hearing my voice, I got someone else in here to help us kick everything off to start it off. My dear friend Emerson Pavezzi is here. Emerson, say a little hello. Okay. What Bruce. up, everybody? Zeus with Bruce. Hey, let's do it. <laughs> so we're going to just really head right into it uh, and get started. So we have a list of so many different questions, but we're really just picking at random. And let's do this one, because I, I believe this is a great way as to why people are even tuning into this podcast would be, what does it mean to live a good life? And Emerson, you can take it away. I can take it away. But being the guest, you got it. Um, yeah, I guess we would have to define what good is. And it's funny, I was actually this these past couple of weeks, there is a preaching happening at a church that I participate online, and he's explaining, I'm not sure if you know Andy Stanley from North Point, but he's explaining how, how good do you have to be to get into heaven, is the idea of the message. And, I, right, it's awesome. And what's cool about it is that good is, like, always changing. So like what was good back in uh, the conquistador times is totally different to what is good now. Like slavery was good at a certain time, but now, you know what I mean? So it's um, good is always changing. And what it, something that you think is good right now, also in the next 10 years, you may think, what the heck was I thinking? Like that is not good. So the, the, the idea of good is always changing. Mm. So really really the answer to that question is how do we define good what is good let's give it a shot i mean would would good slash the way i would mm -hmm. translate that is the presence of pleasure and maybe the absence of pain could be because if, if that's really what it is however at the same time if you have total absence of pain you, you want to go with that yeah i mean i think that's a i mean it, we could go down that route just it could become a little hedonistic mm -hmm. Because if you're purely chasing everything that's pleasurable and you're trying to totally avoid pain, you don't really build any resilience, any kind of muscle, any kind of fortitude, any kind of courage. Because how can you be brave? And this is such an interesting, I can't believe I just realized this, man. It's right. funny because if you're open to every different story out there, you learn, or I learn, and I believe people can, that there's a common thread throughout a lot of them. And how I'm trying to illustrate this is, I was watching Smallville, which is a Superman show, right? Amazing series, highly recommend it. And there was a scene where we think, oh, Superman is so brave. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, is he? If, if I was bulletproof and I could run at the speed of sound and all these things, when would I ever be afraid? So then there was a really cool scene when he basically wanted to save uh, Lois Lane, but there was green kryptonite. And he was weak and someone was going to shoot Lois. So what he did is he went and jumped in front of the bullet, not knowing if he was going to get killed or not. 
And for me, that creates such a different way as to how we perceive courage, how we perceive being brave or anything like that. Now, could Superman have been good? He's doing good. But would it constitute that there was danger involved for him to actually be good? Because you kind of need both sides of the coin. So I don't know if we go with that one. However, it seems right. like probably a fair starting point. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't. I, I mean, me personally, I wouldn't define good as the absence of the absence of pain. But my, I, I like that's a, a, as a simple definition. Most people would say, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, good is a very is a is an ever changing thing for everyone and in any moment. Like right now, if you have an injury in your leg, perhaps good would be light movements, maybe some rest. You know, getting some sleep. But if you have somebody, uh, if you ha if you're in a fire, your house is on fire, you know, good would be just getting the heck out of there and running on that same foot. So uh, I don't know if that was even a good, yeah, no. that may not have been a good example, but uh, yeah, good is always changing. It's, it's hard to define. Yeah. Right. Well, it, even just on that, that made me think it depends on your starting point and the relativity of it. Right. Because for someone who has nothing, a dollar makes the world of a difference. But so let's say someone who has much more, it's a, a mm -hmm. substantial addition to that is nothing to them. So kind of the, how it's relative for mm -hmm. both. And it's also interesting to look at. Exactly. Right, so that's a really big one, which, I mean, also kind of reminds me of a story in the Bible where they're at the temple and they're, the t uh, they're, they're giving their offerings, I believe, in the temple. And then you have, I'm going to butcher this story so uh, people don't crucify me. But basically that they were giving offering at the temple and the tax collectors were obviously giving much more. And then there's a little old lady who gives one shekel, let's say. And then the tax collectors, I believe it, that's their job description. Exactly. They go, oh, oh my gosh, look at this. Oh my God, you have nothing. Uh -huh. And then Jesus comes around, definitely very powerful move. And it goes basically something along the lines of shame on you. Don't you recognize that this lady gave all that she had, right? That she gave in such abundance and that they gave what was marginal for them, right? Now, again, does it, it goes back to was it bad that they gave what they gave? No, because what they gave would still be good because it's going to contribute substantially. So right. are we focused more yeah. on the impact or the input? That one makes you think a little Bars. bit. Is the impact yeah. or the input what really connects there? And did they yeah. did they do a good thing? And can we say they did a good thing, even though they shamed this woman? Because her his impact or the tax collectors, their impact numerically will probably be much larger, and will be able to do more good. Right. Good. Right. However, when we talk about this story, this metaphor, now metaphor, look at the impact that that has. Because if those wealthier individuals gave 100 shekels, those 100 shekels will be spent and forgotten about, maybe invested. This lady gave one shekel, and more than 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. <laughs> really yeah. makes you think that. So is yeah. that good? Is it not? 
It's a deep question. <laughs> yeah. For as a, as a man, for, for me, like just simplifying the question now, I would say to live a good life as a man, I would say it's just following the spirit that following the spirit within that guides you mm-hmm. um, and doing just doing what you believe a great person would do. And, and again, these, that definition is extremely vague, but if you just in every single moment, just ask yourself, what would a great person do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can, you can kind of imagine if I would imagine a great person, they would do this for in this situation. I guess that's a sim- super simple way. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. To bringing it very close to ourselves now as a man is just follow the spirit within and do what a great, what you believe a great person would do in any given situation. No, that's perfect, Ben. And that even reminds me of the, the fact that it doesn't matter really what you believe in. Let's say so much. It's more so just practice what you're preaching and living in alignment mm-hmm. with your own values. Cause mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you're taking actions that are against your own specific values, mm-hmm. you're going to be living in a state of that you're not congruent with yourself. And of course, we have the need to be consistent with our identity. And if you're not congruent, your actions and your beliefs, if they're not in alignment, oof, tough man. How can you live a good life like that? If there's, right. turmoil, if there's turmoil and inner conflict inside, anything that comes from the outside, even if it's something great, Will you receive that with open hands or will you receive that with closed arms? <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like you're always kind of lying to yourself. It's very difficult. Yeah. 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 No, that's, I actually love that definition, man. That's, that's a great way to go. Cause like you're talking about, yeah, that's a simple one. No, I mean, it's, it's powerful. The spirit yeah. and really your guiding compass. Again, I mean, this is how I could see is that the spirit can mislead you to believe what For you sure. good, right? Because there's obviously temptation and all these other things. Now, yeah. what you interpret as good in a certain culture, your spirit could have been conditioned like crazy, right? To, to a certain point where you actually are just so impressionable, malleable, and then anything that comes, you'll submit to. Because when there's so much uncertainty, you cling to any form of certainty. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a very unhealthy environment, abusive, people are just gaslighting you or not even as intense, just in school. If you're very uncertain at home, you go to school and they teach you something totally crazy, but the person teaching is very certain of themselves, what are we probably going to believe? Right. It gets spooky, man. It's really spooky. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, yeah, for yeah. sure. Let's let's go for the next one, brother. This is fun. Let's do, let's, let's do it. So I'm just going down the list. Is humanity headed in the right or wrong direction. And I'll take that one since you started the last one. Yeah. Of course, one of the prereqs for all of these questions is what is your framework for how you look at things? Are you coming from a more collective background, individualistic background? What is the proper way you see it? For myself, I would say that we are definitely progressing as a collective. I think we're making a lot of discoveries. We're learning more about the body. We're learning more about health. However, two things. One, we have much more power now, definitely over each other. So of course, to quote uh, Ben Parker, I believe that's his name. Yeah, with great power, comes great responsibility. 
And until you have the power or acknowledge that you do, you'll always be ignorant of that. And then you're not seeing the consequences of your actions. And then the second point for myself on this would be, regardless of all the knowledge that you accumulate, it doesn't actually matter so much because we're drowning in information, but we're starving for wisdom. The ability to discern from the information what's valuable and what's not. So on that front, I definitely think we're progressing. Of course, without getting too political, climate-wise, that definitely is causing problems. And just internal tensions that we have amongst different groups. So we have the potential to be even greater than we already are. But the way that we're treating the planet, the way that we're treating others, and for myself, the way that we're treating animals, it's not necessarily consistent with how I believe we were designed to be in the Garden of Eden. If we use that as a framework and as a model, at that point, there was no sin. There was no damage to the environment. And factually, they did only eat plants in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was a was basically paradise in heaven on earth. So I would say we're definitely progressing. We're doing well. Just we need to turn down the temperature quite a bit and realize that you can have a difference of opinion, even a different identity, and still be able to love someone regardless of how different they are than yourself. So we got work to do, but we're doing, we're making moves, I'd say. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's it's so hard for people to, and by people, I mean, even, even us, even myself, to be able to accept a different mindset um, within somebody else, because for some reason, we feel like that affects us and affects the environment so much and just affects our life even though they, they're not really in our life. It's tough. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but the question was whether or not we're going in the right or wrong direction. Yeah. I think I think I think that we are going in exactly the direction in, in exactly the direction that we're supposed to be going in. I think that we live in a universe of ultimately of like good and evil basically there's only like kind of two sides uh light and darkness and i feel like i feel like in our universe i don't know if there's any other ones that god created or any other ones that exist within our universe light always wins so i feel like if there's a if there's a dark room and you spark a candle the light is always going to dispel darkness this, if where there's a star shining, the universe is dark, but when a star shines, it dispels darkness. It always wins whenever it's present. So I think that I think that whatever direction that we go in, sometimes it seems like e Remember seeing you there, it just like a little bit. I feel like we're always kind of on the on the path that we should be, and then things kind of balance themselves out. Mm. No, definitely. Yeah, I love that metaphor. That was really, really solid. Reminds me of a quote. It says that the only way for their for darkness to prevail is in the absence of light. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really sick. Yeah. Um, so that really just and th that's where I think people are so misled. And when we say people, I would say myself included, I'll say humanity, 
is that mostly I think we tend to ignore truths that are evident regardless of whatever time period you're in. So what you said right there, and this is one very valuable aspect of science and mathematics, things that we can measure and logic. What you just said is true. I mean, it has been true for forever, right? It's not something that we just learned now. However, there are things we learn now that we should have known back then, right? So for example, that, yeah, like the thing we said earlier with even just treating people less than or enslaving them because uh, all these crazy reasons, yeah. now it's very obvious. But 500, 1,000 years ago, it doesn't make sense. Right. And then how much can we blame the person 1,000 years ago? None. How much can we blame the person 500 years ago? Probably a little more. How much can we blame the, pre- the people 200 years ago? Much more. 100 years ago, much more. 50 years. So it gradually gets to a point. And then how right do we now. have any sort, form of justice for what was done? However, as well as mercy for the ignorance that was also there. You know, there are people who commit crimes and it's the claim of ignorance or insanity. Oh, okay, it's all good. So that's that's kind of a, a bit of a stretch as well, but just seeing how can we be consistent in how we can actually learn to love someone and be able to accept them with a different identity. Because the identities can change. It's very tough, but it definitely can. And there was actually, just to add one last point to this is, a friend of mine had told me this, that they had studies on the brain and they were researching how the brain would react when someone else would challenge their identity or a belief. And I got to look at the study and do more research into it. But the basic results were that when someone's beliefs or identities are challenged, or even if they perceive the identity or belief to be challenged, they go into fight or flight. And the part of their brain, the amygdala that's responsible for that, actually lights up as well. Mm-hmm. So it really makes us think, even if we're conscious of it, the subconscious doesn't have, like you said, enough light, or is just so consumed in darkness, that it's actually, the door is closed on any light coming in. So how do you open a door to light when inside the room, there's only darkness? How do you have light inside that dark actually open itself up? Right. It's a tough question. It's a a tough question, yeah. Either you have to build a door or window or create light within, but uh, yeah, who knows what that is. Yeah, so it sounds then in that case that there would need to be some kind of external influence on the internal to actually get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, man, that would really sound a lot like humanity. I think we're going in the right direction because although we're isolated, there's constantly been the reaching out to one another. And I think at the core, that's what we really want is to be connected, to be understood, to feel safe, to be seen, and to feel like we're not alone. Because think about it, man, one of the worst forms of punishment is solitary confinement. Yeah, and for a reason. It's the, it's, it's the worst. Yeah, it's it's dude. It's it's the it's got to be. Yeah, it drives people insane. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, in the worst way possible. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Let's uh, yeah, you got yeah. more thoughts on that, or you want to tackle another one? Ready for the next, brother. <laughs> Funny because some of these will go deep, and then other ones could be pretty quick. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, okay. Whichever. So 
God, we just answered this, these two. Oh, well, this is pretty easy. Is it possible okay. to, live a, to live a normal life and not ever tell a lie? And if you answer yes, you're lying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what do you no. think? Normal, is it possible to live a normal life and never and not ever tell a lie? I mean, come on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think lying is almost instinctive. I think as children, we already you don't got to tell teach kids how to lie. They already do it. We've already done it tons of times. So yeah, it's, I don't know how to even answer yet. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like it's even ingrained. You know, we know how to breathe. We learn how to walk. We learn mm -hmm. how to blink, or we know how to blink, and then we just know how to lie. Yeah, so, yeah. So that thing is just ingrained. I mean, I fully agree. And yeah. well, this is actually without this isn't going too deep, but. Is it a, like, it's not a lie if you said information you actually believed in, right? So I've even caught myself saying, I'll say something. And then after I'll go, oh man, shoot, sorry, I lied. No, I didn't lie. I had, I misinterpreted the information and I shared mm -hmm. it with you. Because mm -hmm. for me, how I perceive it, lie has intent. Mistake does not have as the same level of intent. Almost it doesn't because it's a mistake. I see what you mean, yeah. You know, it's like a separation. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, that one's easy. Uh, okay. I Next love it, though. Go. I love yeah. these, uh, these little nuggets. Yeah, man, come on now. That's how, that's how it's got to be. Yeah. So, uh, oof, this one could be, I have so many contexts, but this one will say, um, how replaceable are you? Oh, 100%. So everybody in, in, in is... every area? Um what do you mean by every area so replaceable in the sense of if you're working at a manufacturing plant then literally if you're yeah. a surgeon maybe not as much if you're part of a family then maybe even less uh but maybe you can still be replaced you can adopt somebody your partner can mm -hmm. find somebody else someone else can yeah. learn to be a surgeon yeah well there, i guess there's two parts to that you can see this from every human being is a snowflake we're all separate perfectly in our own way like thing, our fingerprints are different so within us my goodness how how special are we to have to be one of one there's nobody else like us so in that sense we're not replaceable there's nobody that can do there's no one that can be us other than us but then in terms of like everything else in life man like life will continue to go on with or without us so Yes, it will. <laughs> and everything will and everything will get done. Like there's with or without us, which is a scary thought. Because, mm. you know, but that's that's life. We're we're expendable in a in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, we are expendable. And how do you find let's say a form of significance in that when you said everything can go on? I mean, people should really just realize this. Like go off the grid for a few days or a week, society will continue to function. However, yeah. that is more so at the macro level. I think when we operate in the micro level in our more immediate community, and especially if you're much more active in a community, I would say that if we are fully replaceable, then mm -hmm. our absence wouldn't make even a little dent. However, of course, our absence would make a significant dent if we're part of if you're part of a, a team, if you're part of a unit, whatever any any field in the areas that like you said, with the snowflake and the fingerprint, we literally add something special that cannot be duplicated exactly. Yeah. And it does actually change the entire timeline 
of the continuance of the existence that people yeah. would. Right. So it's yeah. thinking in that area, yeah. yeah. With work, oh my gosh, man. We're so replaceable, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, even just I'll say it as someone I know, they had a job and they were interested about leaving this job and they go, oh, I don't know, I don't want to leave the team on their own. And then one of their coworkers just told them and said, hey, listen, literally they'll have someone to replace you in like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And it was a brutal thought and it, that's really what it is. And yeah. two weeks later, the person was replaced. For sure. Yeah. Any skill can be taught any position can be taught and within if maybe uh let's say i was a warrior back in archery times right where you got it you got the bow and arrow i may not be good now but give me two weeks give me a few hundred hours anything any skill can be replaced 100 percent. and mm -hmm. when you see that think about the difference of if you have someone who's kind of knows something who's teaching you it you'll learn, but there's really a cap. And it can maybe take them decades to learn a skill. Someone who's mm -hmm. actually been there, accomplished it, dude, you can learn more from, let's say, Michael Jordan in 20 minutes than a high school basketball coach, just in theory, over maybe 20, 30 years. Of course, there's, some, there's some caveats in that, yeah, but yeah. that overall idea. Yeah, right? I get what you mean. Uh, but I will say for the uh, another front, uh, with... With AI, definitely will be will be even more replaceable, especially if the jobs are routine and non-cognitive, meaning that they're repetitive and there's no uh, input with skill or design or art or anything like that because a robot can do it. I mean, even if you look in Japan right now, I could be getting this wrong, but there are robots there that you can basically buy and they'll be your companion and they'll do everything with you. So... You look at how that changes the whole market, that changes the whole relational dynamic, the ethics behind, I mean, even if there are ethics with how we interact with AI, can they feel, I mean, that's a whole different subject, but uh, it's it's getting intense, man. And how do we become irreplaceable? I don't know if it's possible. Yeah, there are little things, there are little things that, that I think that computers and AI are a little bit uh, are going to take a while to take over. For example, a plumber, uh, you have something going on in your house where the water is no longer coming to your bath. Let's say, for example, something's going on within those walls that it's leaking water. It takes it takes something with a brain to figure out certain problems, but AI can eventually figure it out. But then it's, it's funny, like with my background in movement, movement is like the most difficult thing for AI to figure out for robotics to get right but Boston Dynamics is doing a crazy job right now they're doing insane they're, they're having robots do backflips which is a specific pattern but then landing that backflip and and adjusting for little micro movements is one as a very difficult thing but having having a robot that can do plumbing that's going to be so difficult to find. And there's little jobs like that that are going to be very hard to replace. But for the most part, bro, I think just about every single job can be replaced. But I, honestly, <laughs> I, yeah. But but I think plumbing is going to be one of the last ones. Actually. <laughs> I mean, that, well, hey, man, at least there's some winner, there winners and losers in every invention. Yo, the plumbers right now are all <laughs> <laughs> plumbers all around the world. Yeah. Let's go, let's go. It's even adding to this one, if you like looking at this, 
what skills are some people actually very incompetent at that are actually human skills? For example, if you have a partner that you love and that you care about, or even at work, a friend, anything like that, if you actually don't learn certain questions to ask, certain ways to speak with your partner, and a robot has the actual script and that could ask more open-ended questions and either just affirm or help guide you somewhere else with what you say, Mm. I mean, that's going to change it too. So I don't know what job that would basically replace, but not therapy, but let's say very intro level therapy, or even just when people need friends. I mean, look at COVID, right? Everyone's locked, uh, locked inside their home. And of course they're interacting through uh, technology, right? Through phones and videos and all these things. What happens though is you already have this medium that changes the dynamic of communication 100%. Now, we don't want to go with that. So that changes the the form of communication. And just because you can communicate and you know you're trying to communicate effectively doesn't mean you're actually doing it. Yeah. You can have all the intent, but none of the skill. Yeah. And then eventually you'll lose all your will. And you'll that's a nice play on words, but think about that. If you don't have the skill, you go nuts. Skill is the key to life, man. I ha- I told you, I told Brendan this one day too. I was having a nervous breakdown one day because I was like, dude, what's the point of even trying to enjoy life? There's no enjoyment here. Mm. How am I going to bring up a child uh, into this world and try to explain them how to enjoy life? And then oh. there, there was, I know, and there, there was this moment where I had like this, it, it's, it was a, it was a, it came to me and it responded to me and it said, it's through skill. You have to teach skills because the only way you can enjoy life is through skill. If you have a boat, but you don't know how to sail, you can't enjoy the boat. You need to have the skill of sailing to enjoy the boat. So all of life, the enjoyment of life, I believe, has to come from the skills required to do the things that you're looking to do. Communication is one of the biggest skills, I think. Definitely. And knowing how to use your knowing how to use your words, your emotions, inflections, and your body to communicate things is one of the most difficult skills. And dude, I'm only starting to understand it right now. Mm. And um, there's a uh, yeah. The, if the more skills you have, and the more what's awesome about it too is you can't lose it. So yes. our parents came, yeah, our parents came from Brazil, and they were like, okay, you need to you need to get a degree. But in reality, what now what I'm understanding is they should have invested in skills. And all I'm going to invest in for my children is, do you know how to do this? Do you know how to solve this problem? Do you know how to work with people? Working with people is one of the most difficult skills, man. So these all if you have skills in these certain areas, I think that uh, I think that you can enjoy life. But without skills, you're yeah. you don't stand a chance. Yeah. You really don't. And the more that you can offer, I mean, there's that expression where it's, it goes, a jack of all trades is, is a master of none. Mm-hmm. However, there's more to that. It says a jack yeah. of all trades is a master of none, but still always better than a master of one. Now, mm-hmm. I will say that this actually changes a bit depending on the certain system that you're at. But mm-hmm. more so, I think one of the main skills, like you were talking about uh, within the boat and solve problems is, and communicate with other people is, how skillful are you in adaptation and change? Because that's the, that's the only constant. That's a huge skill to have is changing direction. Okay, now what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like no, right. Learning the, the pattern that comes. How do you learn the pattern consistently and then change when you need to? Because if mm-hmm. not, then, then you're stuck. 
And the, the way yeah. I see the skill thing as well is, is it having the skill? I mean, if the skill becomes uh, very valuable, it's also not necessarily what, in my opinion, not what you achieve, but who you become in the process. Because throughout that entire progress of learning that skill, if you start at zero, and then the very next day you learn a little bit, and you're at 0 0.0000 to infinity and one, you made exponential progress. And if as long as you're progressing on your own timeline and your own scale, that for me will really bring that level of joy, fulfillment, and happiness. Especially if you're trying to bring a kid into the world, which for me, I, I ask I ask a different question, which I think yours was, can I uh, guarantee that they have joy? Was that what you said with the kid? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. How how can I even explain to them how to enjoy this life? Because there really isn't much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the when I was seeing it on this one, for myself, it's how do I believe that I even have a, a pin drop worth of the level of wisdom needed to guide another sentient being into existence when first I don't have nearly remote of all the answers as well as when you, when there is someone brought into existence, there is a guarantee of pain. That's a fact. And they're yeah. like, that's just a fact. And there's a chance and chances, opportunities of pleasure. Right. Yeah. So that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Excuse me, man. Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, the cool part is that it's not really it's not really all on your shoulders either. Like there's people that are 13 years old that accidentally knock somebody up and now they're a father at 13 years old. It's happened all the time. And someone that at 13, my goodness, what do you know at 13? But then uh -huh. the baby comes or the baby comes and it's not what's the interesting thing is the child isn't really ours. Sure, they may have come out of us, but they are their own thing, experiencing yes. their own journey yeah. and just going through life. And life is the teacher. So mm -hmm. it's not really us that has to do. We kind of have to protect and, and things like that, but life is the teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how much do we hold their hand? Uh, right. Most of giving them a nudge. Right. Yeah. It, it's so interesting because um, the more that you help, the more weak they become, yeah. the more the, the more that you force them to learn on their own, the stronger they'll become. So it, as a parent, my goodness, it's so difficult to find that balance. Like, ma, I should help them right now. But at the same time, if you're always helping, 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 by the time they get married and go out of the house, then they have no idea. <laughs> and um, then everything has to happen. So right. it's, a, it's definitely a tough balance there. Tough balance with the love that you want to show them. And how you do that is the love letting them figure it out on their own. Because what if right. you can also cause help them minimize unnecessary pain? Exactly. I mean, I agree so with how that. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. You should. How... I don't think let let your kid go out and drive two hundred miles per hour or one hundred twenty miles per hour or whatever on a car mm -hmm. without a seatbelt and get into a crash. Mm -hmm. There are some things we know that will consistently not be beneficial. For sure. One of the things that I thought was so interesting I heard once from somebody was as an adult, your job is to show the next generation what comes after that corner. You have the ability and the wisdom to look around corners and they don't. So so our job is to show them what happens around that corner. But our job, I, I believe personally myself, and I'm not a father yet, but once I do become one is that I can tell them what's around that corner. 
but I can't force them to not go around it themselves. I need to, I need, I can prepare them, but they need to make the decision on whether or not they want to go around that corner. So that's just how I see it. But uh, again, I'm not a father, so I'm sure many parents do things different ways. So, yeah. And it's, what's your model of the world? How do you parent? I mean, personally, I'm I'm not looking to get into this, this department, maybe ever, because it's just, it's such an enormous responsibility and it's yeah i mean they really should require not require i mean that's not the right way to say it but have access to the philosophy first i believe of having children and bringing life into existence first it's it sounds very abstract but it's very fundamental because if you don't have the resources and like are you doing it to self-gratify are you doing it to continue a legacy oh i won't be here forever maybe i need more kids but then again, it's in our nature, which isn't always a good thing. This is a very mm-hmm. common fallacy that people make all the time. And they go, oh, but it's natural. So what? I don't care if it's natural. We used to beat mm-hmm. each other over the head for a piece of wood. Are we going to do that now? Because it was natural thousands of years ago. That's insanity. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like way earlier finding what we did in the past, taking what works, what doesn't, using it now. And how do we measure what's good, what's bad? especially when it comes to expanding the the human family, the circle. Yeah. Man, we, sure. got two, we got two minutes left. Any closing thoughts on this? Uh, and then once it ends, we'll communicate to navigate how to uh, save the recording. Yeah. But any closing, uh, closing takes? Oh, man. Ultimately, brother, I, after 31 years, that's that's how many rotations i have around the sun (laughs) there's still there's still so little that i that i actually know there's very few things i even have a note on my phone on like the things that i actually know and there's so there's so little still but yeah yeah life teaches you know like like we were explaining it's not anybody else's job to teach us life forces us to learn by the knockdowns that she gives us and it can there's pain involved, like you said, and every once in a while you get a dangling carrot in the form of pleasure. So, hmm. I, don't, I don't, I don't know if I can top that last last little saying. It's true, man. Um, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think the the title will be "Look for the carrots." They're there if you know where to look. The dangling <laughs> carrots. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. This was the first of a long series of Philosophy Fridays. Hopefully Let's the techniques you got just help you think a little bit different and ask just ask some questions that you're not used to and ask yourself, are Emerson and Bruce totally nuts? Is Emerson a poet in the making? Yeah. Is, is, is Bruce just off his rocker or is there something here that has value? Um, <laughs> until next time, guys. Thank you, Emerson, for joining in. Yeah, man. And everybody, I'll see you next time on Zeus with Bruce. Until next time, peace. Peace.